Welcome to Conversations with Dr. Jennifer, a collection of interviews on the topics of relationships, sexuality, spirituality, and more, all featuring Dr. Finlayson Fife. Hi, everyone. This is Jennifer. I have an exciting announcement. This summer, I'm going to be teaching an expanded version of my How to Talk to Your Kids About Sex course, and I'm going to be doing it as a live webinar over five weeks. My goal during this live webinar series is to teach parents how they can become the wise and loving mentors their children need throughout every developmental stage from birth to adulthood. I'll also be preparing parents to address difficult and challenging topics with their kids, including the tough topics of masturbation, pornography, sexual abuse, and sexual orientation. There are a lot of advantages to participating in a live course, including the opportunity to ask questions and receive direct feedback from me in real time. And you'll also get to hear my interaction with other parents in the session, including dialogues and role plays, which will help you to see more clearly how you can apply the concepts taught in the course to your own life. Space is limited, so act quickly if you want to participate. And you can learn more about the opportunity by clicking on the link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hi, my name is Ivy Bassett. I'm 13 years old. And my mom, Christy Bassett, is Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Five's assistant. My mom told me that a lot of parents wish that Dr. Finlayson Five could talk directly to their teenage kids. So she thought it'd be cool and I thought it'd be cool if I interviewed Jennifer and asked some of the questions that I have and that I know a lot of other teens have. In this interview, we talk all about trouble with friendships, relationships, disagreeing with parents, anxiety, and more. I hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you so much for joining this interview with me. So My pleasure. Oh, thank you. Um, I wanted to start off by talking like about friendships and stuff because I know that's a big thing that teens have to worry about is like friendships and like relationships. So my first question was like, what should I do when a friend hurts my feelings or does something that I don't really agree with? Like, I want to stand up for myself, but I do not want to sound overdramatic or like really rude. But I don't want her to like think it's not a big problem or to just walk all over me because I'm not saying anything about the situation. So what do you think? About yeah. That? Well, that's a good question. Um, and you're right, especially, I mean, this can happen even in grown-up relationships, but sometimes the more you try to get someone to respect you, like almost the more they know that they can mess with your sense of self. I don't know if that makes sense, but like if you're kind of looking to them to treat you better, it kind of can give them a power over you. But I think on the other hand, you don't want to just like not say anything because then maybe you're being complicit in being treated badly. So I don't know if I really know the best answer, but I think that the more that you know, something that I say a lot to people is that you can't make anybody respect you or like you, but you can respect and like yourself. And that seems like something that, I don't know, 
adults say, but doesn't really make a lot of sense when you're an adolescent. <laughs> I remember hearing things like that. And I just like, what does that even mean? But like the more that they can't make you feel bad because you are okay with who you are, then the less tempting it is to try to upset you. And so I have another thought about it and then you can ask me, you know, anything that doesn't make sense. But I think if you're like trying to get them to be respectful, that's the wrong thing. But to say, hey, you know, I don't like it when you talk to me like that, or that doesn't feel good, or I want to be good friends with you, but when you trash me like that, that's it's not fun hanging out with you. So there's a kind of self-respect in it, but you're not trying to make them respect you. Does that make sense, Ivy? Like, no, yeah. Me- no, it makes a lot of sense. Like, kind of like subtly, but show you respect yourself and yeah, yeah, and that you're not cool with it. That you're not you don't like it. Yeah, but you're not desperate to get them to like you either. Yeah, I like that. Mm -hmm. So one of my other questions um, was, what should I do if like my parents have rules that I don't really like agree with? And so like sleepovers and like social media, like my parents think one way, but I don't per se, like I don't agree with what they're saying on that. I think I should be allowed to do these things and stuff. So what do you think? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of times, especially when you're an adolescent, there is like a disconnect between your sense of autonomy or what you're capable of and sort of your sense of what things really matter and then what parents think. And I think they're very seldom lined up. (laughs) Well, I mean, sometimes they are. But a lot of times, I remember thinking this a lot as a teenager, that my parents were making a big deal about something that really wasn't a big deal. And on the other hand, there were times when I don't think they understood that some things weren't very good. They, di- they didn't know it, but I knew it. <laughs> and so parents, well, there's two things. Parents often don't get things right. Like they are afraid of their kids' growing autonomy and they can sometimes err in the direction of more rules than is necessary. But um, sometimes kids don't know what the risks really are because they haven't lived long enough to kind of know what might be the risk of having unlimited access to social media, for example. I remember when I was about your age, actually, I had, there was a I'd made a new friend and she was asking me to come sleep over and I really wanted to have her as a friend. And so I wanted to be able to say yes to her. But I remember that my parents just were saying, no, you can't do it. I'm sorry, you can't. And even though I thought they were probably wrong about the situation, there was a part of me that was kind of glad that they were not allowing me to do it. And I didn't let them know that I felt that way, but it felt to me like they were protective. And there was a part of me that was a little bit nervous about the family that she came from and the situation. 
So I guess my point is that sometimes parents are wrong, but their job is to kind of hold the guardrails. And in some ways, your job is to push against them. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, when you were yeah. saying that, that I have had that before where I, obviously I don't say that, but I am kind of glad because I was like, I'm not actually 100% sure I would have wanted to do that, but yeah. I make it sound like that. And so I am glad right. to like, you know, I would like, never let on that I was also a little uncertain. <laughs> yeah. I just push on. I want to do it. I want to do it. Um, but I think that's a, it's a valuable tension, even though it's uncomfortable for both adolescents and parents. Yeah, because it's a little bit the kids are the adolescents are pushing and they're trying to figure out who they are and establish their own autonomy, which they need to do because they're going to leave home in a few years. But it's also good for parents to kind of hold the limits. And they need, it's bad if parents are are so focused on rules that the kids don't have enough freedom to make mistakes. But I remember feeling sorry for some of my friends whose parents gave them no rules because yeah. they also, I think those friends kind of felt uncared about. Yeah. And like when you have no rules to say back, it's just, yeah. Yeah. Um, one of my other questions is I don't always feel like my parents like trust me or like at least fully trust me. So how can I get them to like trust me more? Yeah. Well, um, Tell me a little bit about that. Is that that in what way do they not trust you? I just feel like sometimes I think it's fine if I have social media, but I don't think they trust me enough to like let me have that, or they don't trust me to go out with my friends or to wear things. And I just want them to be able to trust me more. Right. Well, so I mean, I think one of the reasons maybe they don't trust you is not because you're so untrustworthy or that you've been, you know, doing terrible things. It's just that they're saying you're not old enough yet for us to give you that full responsibility. Yeah. And it's legit that you want more freedom and more responsibility. So the way that you can make the case for that is by being really responsible with within the the things that you are allowed. So, you know, in some ways I was, I I did some things against the rules, but I was a pretty, like I would pretty much do the things my parents asked me to do. So what ended up happening is they just kind of didn't hold a lot of rules for me because I was kind of obeying the rules or I was getting home at a reasonable time. I wasn't doing crazy things where one of my siblings was always pushing the rules a lot. So it meant there there were more rules because he was often trying to break the rules. And so, you know, I think the more that you show your parents with time, like I'm going to be responsible, then then there's more of a case to be made like, mom, have you seen me break these rules? No. Then maybe you should give me more freedom, something like that. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. like that. I'm I kind of know which sibling stands in which position in that little story you were giving. Yeah. <laughs> in your own family. Is that what you mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I've been wanting to like wear bikinis and like more crop shirts and stuff, like not completely crop and stuff when I'm out with friends because I think they're cute and I like it goes with my aesthetic. But I know a lot of people don't really like kids to wear this and they think it's immodest. So, like, 
what's like the main reason why I shouldn't wear these kind of clothes or like what's the effect on like other people? Mm. It's a good question. Um, so, well, one thing I would just say is that the meaning of clothing is very context dependent. So what I mean by that is like where you're wearing what and in what, you know, s- setting, what cultural setting, what meaning just has very different meaning. Yeah. Like um, somebody wearing a tank top or a crop top among Latter-day Saints has a different meaning than somebody wearing it among people that are not religious, right? And so thinking about like, or wearing a bikini to the beach has a different meaning than wearing, you know, a, a bikini in your backyard sunbathing, of course, has a different meaning than a bikini during an exam. <laughs> okay, Like these are obvious statements, but they, they have different meanings. And so they communicate different things about yourself. And so I think that um, one of the wrong ideas that sometimes we have been given is the idea that you are responsible for other people's thoughts. And so you should cover your body to keep people from having inappropriate thoughts about you. And the thing that's wrong with that idea is just making you responsible for something you can't control, which is if somebody sees you as a, as attractive or, you know, sexy for that matter. Um, On the other hand, I think thinking about what is the meaning of these clothes and am, am I trying to get a lot of attention and in a way that might be distracting or disrespectful of myself or of other people, um, that would be a reason not to dress in very, you know, revealing clothing. So because it's kind of got a disrespect in it. What that actually is in your family or in your particular, you know, in what it means like for you and for the people that you're with, that's maybe individual and something people can figure out with their parents. But I think the main view is like, I think one of the things that's very um, much part of that tension between kids and parents is that kids want to appeal to their peers and they, at least extroverted kids do. You want your peers to think that you're attractive, that you're cool, that you're likable. And so there's a lot of pressure to want to dress in ways that will make your friends feel that way about you. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's completely normal or to want guys to find you attractive. It's normal that you, that one wants to do it. But again, parents are often kind of holding the brakes on that to just kind of slow down that effort. So again, there's just that tension of parents sort of saying, you can't wear that, even though you may legitimately want to. (laughs) And just figuring out, you know, is there a way for me to um, be respectful of myself? maybe be okay with my attractiveness and that I like wearing fun, cool clothes like that, but also stay self-respecting and not use my attractiveness too much in my relationships to get attention. Yeah. I like that. 
yeah, I feel like some people, when I wear anything, I feel judged by some people at my school or when I'm like wearing it for myself or just because I want to. And I just, yeah, like speaking of that, like our school dress code, it just seems like very targeted and like there's mm. tons of restrictions against girls and boys. Mm. And it just, it doesn't seem fair like or right to me. That yeah. The dress code is like that. So what do yeah. you think? That kind of thing certainly happens, especially in areas that maybe are a little more conservative. There can sometimes be, you know, a lot of focus on females and what females are wearing. And um, it's part of the problem in these. Uh, is there historically um, and often in other cultures, there's this idea that you have to cover up women? and to manage men's sexuality. And again, I, you know, women are, we are attractive. I can understand maybe why you don't want to walk around being sexy all the time. Um, so there is a kind of, there's some value in modesty, right? In terms of controlling sexual access. But again, the idea that women are responsible for men's feelings, that's a problematic idea and often can lead to an unfair suppression of women and their sexuality. Yeah. So, you know, I think if it feels unfair, then speaking up and saying how you feel about it and what you think would be more fair is important. Yeah, I think girls really had like taken that because they're trying to change it because I think a lot of girls at the older schools, like the high schools, are like, protesting and they're like telling them like this isn't fair it's not we want to like we should be allowed to wear leggings just to school mm -hmm. like, lots of stuff like that but right. school sometimes I get like anxious or scared about bad things that can happen at schools like there's been a lot of school shootings recently and that mm. that gets on my mind and it scares me and sure. I'll tell those about this and They'll tell me it's okay and I don't like me to worry and they'll like tell me the statistics about it. But I feel like it's just like no matter what, it's really scary. So yeah, feel, like, sure. tips to, like feel less worried about those kind of things because it's more common than I feel like it should be. Well, that's for sure. It's way more common than it should be. And hmm. It's a good question. I think that is a really stressful idea. I know that's something that has caused some struggle for my kids um, when there would be an event in the news and just the awareness that they could become suddenly unsafe with one of their peers and that, you know, that it's a possibility. I do think that as hard as it is because, you know, the limbic brain, the brain that the part of your brain that's designed to keep you safe isn't very rational. Like the, the, the part of your brain that regulates fear or fight and flight doesn't really think in terms of statistics. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so sometimes it's hard to coach the limbic brain with a graph, right? On the other hand, um, I think that it is valuable to say to yourself, 
Like one of the tricky things that we have in modern society is that we um, get access to the bad news all around the world all the time. And so it's actually distorts whether or not how safe we actually are. So even though air travel is extremely safe, if somebody sees a story about an airplane crashing, even 10 years later, that can be kind of emblazoned into your memory and your mind. And so your the real risk seems much, much greater than it is. Yeah. Right. So I think it's probably protecting yourself somewhat from the stories around it because they distort your assessment of reality. Yeah, to kind of put it like, I probably should do less. Like, I'm just like, I'll read it and maybe I'll feel better like about what I can do to be safe. But then it's just, it's worse because I'll keep on reading. I'm like, oh, next day at school, I'm like really careful around everyone I'm like near and I just, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I think that the the other thing I might say is not only is it that I can sort of remind myself that it it feels much more possible than in fact fits reality, but I think the other thing is that there are things that I can do to protect myself. I can be aware of there's some peer or someone I hear about that's in distress and that I could tell somebody about it or I can think about what are things I could do or we could do if there were um, a situation, meaning I think reminding yourself that there are things you can do to protect yourself also helps. So kind of thinking through, this is what I would do. This is because I think when we get the most panicked is when we feel like we're powerless. So obviously life sometimes presents us with things in which we are in fact powerless to change the outcome. But just remind yourself that there's a lot of things I can do and the chance of this happening is also very, very slim. And th- those two things are probably the best antidotes, even though they may be cold comfort. Yeah, I've used that one of them, which is like thinking of what I can do if something like that happened. And it really has helped me. Yeah. Especially when I was younger, I had thoughts like that. And especially I had like tons of friend problems and I got really sad. And I know mm. a lot of young and old have those like same feelings where they're kind of depressed and they don't like know what to talk about like and what mm. who to tell so what would you say to them the, the, you're saying friends that feel those same feelings of anxiety yeah, anxiety depression just never but they really don't know who to talk to is that yeah, what the, yeah well i think first of all that being getting anxious and sometimes getting depressed is very normal. It's kind of like what t- sometimes therapists call the common cold of mental illness. And, you know, life can be depressing and anxiety evoking. And I think that's especially true in adolescence because there's a lot of pressures on kids and they don't yet know enough about who they are. And so judging themselves harshly often against their peers and against other people and what they see about other people, they kind of compare the outside of other people to the inside of themselves. 
And so it can be very, very easy to feel bad about yourself and to feel very anxious about yourself and your future. So it's very normal, but sometimes it gets to be too much and too hard. And that's when looking for an adult or a friend that you trust can help you think get some help. So maybe it's a church leader, maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's they're usually in schools, like a counseling center of some kind where you can go and let someone know that you're really having a hard time. It's really hard to do that sometimes for people because they feel embarrassed about it or they feel like something's wrong with me, that I'm having a hard time or what could anybody do? But people really can help you if you're depressed and anxious. There really are things that you can do. Talking to somebody about what you're depressed and anxious about actually helps tremendously. And sometimes there's actually something going on that's not okay that an adult could help you solve. Um, Again, like one of the hard things about being an adolescent is you're really trying to not need adults anymore. And that's really valuable to want to learn how to be more autonomous, but still reaching out to adults when you need it will help you to you know, suffer less during the, the difficulty that adolescents can sometimes present. Yeah. Yeah. And that was kind of about school. And this is just, it's a little off topic, of, off topic, but I feel like sometimes boys say rude or inappropriate things to me and like other girls. Mm. No matter what they're doing, if they're just working on their homework quietly, they're not wearing anything weird or anything, mm-hmm. they're still doing it. So like, how can I handle this? Because it's definitely a problem that should not be a problem. That it's just, I just don't know how to react. Like, yeah. To do about it. You know, only insecure boys say mean things to girls like that. You could say that to them. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm sorry. You, it's unfortunate that you're such a child that you have yeah. to say mean things to another person. Yeah. So you can just kind of. <laughs> name it for what it is it's it is really truly only insecure immature people that have to slam somebody else down to feel good yeah and so sometimes just name maybe that maybe looks makes me sound mean but (laughs) just kind of naming it for what it is is can be valuable and a lot of times you know (laughs) bullies or people that are mean, they sort of act like they're so big, but they really are so small inside. And often just standing up to it will get them down to size. What they're banking on is that you won't. And so just naming it for what it is, is to say, I'm not afraid of it. So I just wouldn't hesitate, especially to stand up for something. If they're being mean to somebody else, just say, hey, you're, you're being mean. Don't treat her badly. Um, and, uh, if they're being mean to you to say, Hey, it's so uncool, like get a life. Don't, don't talk to me like that. Right. Just like name it for what it is. Meanness is really uncool. (laughs) Yeah. And not only is it being mean, but I feel like sometimes boys are 
inappropriate. It seems like their only sense of humor is that's what she said jokes. And it's just like, I don't want to like, I don't know what to say because I just feel so vulnerable and I don't mm, feel comfortable yeah. with anything. And I just don't know how to handle that either. It's just really hard. Yeah. Well, that's, that's really true. I think that, I think it's one of the a challenging thing about being a female is that sexual violence is a real thing and you can feel like you are vulnerable to protect yourself. And so that's true. And, um, and so, you know, one of the things that I talk about in the, the course where I'm teaching parents how to talk to their kids about sex is to help girls, especially to know what the actual things are they can do or how to track if, if there is some kind of a threat to their actual safety, because it helps them to better know that there's concrete things they can do to protect themselves. Um, but also it's true the, that what she, that's what she said. It's just about like one of the ways that we burden boys is that they have to feel that they're stronger than to feel like men. So boys always are trying to establish their masculinity by saying, I'm stronger than, better than. This is why a lot of teenage guys will have a girlfriend that they will then sometimes belittle or try to pretend they're better than, right? Because they want to feel, not, of course, not all guys do this, but there's a lot of pressure to kind of establish themselves. So saying demeaning jokes or sexualizing jokes is a way of trying to establish to their peers that they're so cool that they can joke about sex because they're so cool about sex, right? And um, <laughs> which they're not, they're insecure and they they are afraid of it, right? And then, <clears throat> excuse me, and then it's also a way to kind of feel better than the girl that they make feel uncomfortable. So again, it's just kind of seeing it for what it is. It's just immature. It's just insecure. Um, you don't have to like it. It doesn't make it likable that, you know, they go around raiding girls on their looks and things. It's just, it's, it's offensive behavior. But at least you can see it as coming from a place of insecurity. And if you need to, you can name it as that, right? I mean... I remember I was on a high school trip to Europe when I was in when I was a junior and the guys were constantly constantly <laughs> talking about sex and just always always and sort of demeaning and then like rating the looks of the the girls that were on the trip and just just the stupidest stuff and um and then I remember our chaperone brought us to go to the beach and she didn't tell us, but because it was in Germany, it was a nude beach. So these guys that have been like talking about sex the whole time, like they're just so experienced and amazing. <laughs> we get there and all of a sudden there's just like naked people everywhere. And the guys that are supposedly so comfortable kept saying, let's go down farther. Let's go down farther <laughs> until we got so far away that it was just our group and nobody else. And we all kept our swimming suits on. So anyway, I mean, I wouldn't have expected it to be any different, but it was kind of comical to me that these guys that are supposedly 
so comfortable are like super insecure all of a sudden. And the ones that are panicked and telling us they, we got to keep going lest somebody ask them to remove their swimming suit. I know. Yeah. They really, yeah. They're like, yeah, I can't. That does remind me of like, what a boy at my school would be like, just when the moment hits like, Oh, actually let's go a little farther now. (laughs) I did have, I have like a few more questions and, so you are Dr. Finlayson Five, like you are a role model of so many and you're like a mom, a wife, you're just like everything and like <laughs> therapist and influencer. And I just don't understand how you can like, like handle all of that. Like it just seems so hard and stressful. So what should I focus on now to get on a good career path so I can like live an adventureful and awesome life like you? Yeah. Well, um, I'm just trying to think about everything you're saying there. So, I mean, it it does. Certainly, there are moments when it is stressful, right? There are certainly moments when it is hard. Being a good parent, or being a good spouse, or handling the work I do. So that's for sure. But it's also true. The more I remember thinking I could never, ever write a dissertation. Like it just is taking the idea of a PhD off the table because what I didn't understand at the time was that I was in high school and I hated writing term papers, but that was the level at which my capacity was. So learning how to write a term paper in high school, then I could start to do it at a college level, then I could do it at a graduate level. And after all those years, then I could actually write a dissertation and have it not be too difficult. You know what I'm saying? So you kind of grow into your capacity until it almost is easy because it's it's what you've learned how to do. So I think that just to answer your question is maybe to just start thinking about what are the what are the things I would really like to do? What do I think would be meaningful for me? You you don't know the answer yet. I certainly didn't have any idea I was going to do sex therapy when I was your age, that's for sure. (laughs) Would have scared me that idea. But I think that starting to do the things that you like both helps you develop capacity and also helps you get clearer about what you'd really like to do. And both of those things are important. So if you think, I know I'd like to do something that's social, because my sense is that you would because you're a social person, you know, doing what you're doing right now, doing a podcast. It's uncomfortable. It's a little bit out of your comfort zone, but you do it and you get better at it. And then you can figure out, do I like that? Do I want to do more podcasts? Or was that just not really me and I want to do something different? And so it's just daring to start walking the path and looking for meaningful problems that you want to solve. That's the to just reach out and do things outside of your comfort zone so that you develop skill and looking for problems that matter to you to make a difference with. Yeah. Is there anything like, do you think I could do like in school that could help that? Like you say like help things that like matter to you. Like, is there like, should I be taking it up with my school? Should I like start a club or should I like tell people about it? Like, what's a really good way to, like, help? I would imagine really just kind of any of those things. Like, it depends a lot on who you are. 
and where you might like to make a difference. I think that, um, you know, when I was your age, the thing that really mattered to me was to have more than two pair of pants and two shirts, which is all I had. (laughs) So the problem I wanted to solve was to have a little bit more income so that I could get things and look cuter because I wanted to be cuter. (laughs) So one of the things I knew that I liked was I liked cake decorating and I had learned at like a church event how to make a gingerbread house. And so I thought I will sell gingerbread houses door to door. And so I started, and you know, I really liked interior design and I I didn't have a strong awareness of myself, but I really was drawn to those things. So I would build these kind of sophisticated gingerbread houses, like making roof tiles and all these things. And then I would take them around and sell them. So I was trying to solve a problem, which was really more about having income. But then it made me think about what are the things that, what could I do to make money? Well, even though that's not precisely aligned with what I'm doing now, that was helping me solve a problem that mattered to me and developing more confidence in my ability to do things in the world and to try things and to take risks. And so there's not like, it's not linear. Like I kind of went in the design route for quite a while. And then I took kind of a hard left turn and said, you know what, I like all this, but what I really, really want to be is a therapist. So then I, but I kind of knew it after I stayed in the design field for a little bit, not the field, I wasn't ever, never got a degree, but what I mean, I was kind of studying (laughs) it and doing things with it. So there's not really a wrong way to do it. It's more just getting involved like you're doing with this podcast and thinking about what's something that I just want to try? What's something that matters to me? Because all of that development is really valuable, even if you decide it's not you or not something that matters to you. Oh, yeah, I like that. So yeah, I've tried to do more like that, but those tips are really useful. So then my last question is like, when I get older in like a couple of years, probably more than a couple, and I have like my first boyfriend, like what are some traits that I should be looking for? Like what yeah. are like good qualities? Because I know there's some things I obviously don't want, but like what sure. are positive qualities? That well, I think – Yeah. I mean, so there's all those insecure boys that we talked about, but then there's really good boys, right? (laughs) Like really good people. They absolutely are. You know, people like your dad, right? And that they, they, they want to love and care for uh, a woman. And so they are, um, they're respectful and they care about you. And they care about you not just in as much as you reinforce them or make them feel good. They really do care about who you are and they care about the things that matter to you just as you will want to care for them and the things that matter to them. So they're a good friend to you and they won't ever make you be less in order to earn their approval. So they won't push you up against your self-respect. Does that make sense? They won't make you lose self-respect to get their respect ever. Um, And you'll feel like a better person when you're with them. And if something is going wrong in the relationship or something is hard, they're willing to be honest with you. Like they don't compromise what's true 
and hopefully you wouldn't not do this either, that you, you're willing to be honest, even if it's uncomfortable, so that you can deal with the relationship. It's extremely important. And then the other thing I would say is that they're willing to look honestly at themselves. Because if you don't have that self-correction mechanism, that integrity mechanism, you can't make it into a good relationship. It can't develop into one. So that's really, really important. You're going to partner with a really, you'll, you'll, everybody, you and anybody you marry will be flawed. There's no getting around it because that's how we all are. But the, to have the self-correction mechanism, that makes it the, to be a joyful journey ultimately, even if tough at times, because you're willing to grow and become better. Yeah. So you really need to respect yourself, them, and them, and like trust too. Like you need to trust yourself and trust them because you feel want to feel comfortable with them and stuff. Yeah. And I remember there was like a boy that I really liked in high school. And he was always doing enough to keep me liking him, but never enough to really step in and like me back. And because I wanted him to like me so much, I kept sort of taking the crumbs and sort of imagining with enough time and, you know, if I did my hair the right way, maybe then he was going to really like me back. But after kind of doing this for a while, I remember realizing this person that I'm sort of disrespecting myself to keep trying to get him to love me back. And I need to let it go, like not keep disrespecting. I can't make him respect me, but I can respect myself. And so um, I remember telling him I don't want to hang out anymore. And it's not because I didn't want to have a romantic relationship with him. I did but I didn't want to do to myself anymore what I was doing by being, by accepting the crumbs. Yeah. I really respect that. That I feel like that would have been like really hard because I've liked people too, where I'm like, I don't think they're really into me. And then yeah. of course it's not serious because I was like in elementary school or anything. Yeah. So, but yeah, kind of respecting yourself, obviously. Yeah, but it is, it is, it is, it took me a while to get to that point, actually. I put up with it, the shenanigans for a while. (laughs) And, and, uh, but yeah, it is a kind of an act of courage because you have to trust that somebody who, that there's somebody that will love and respect you because sometimes it means tolerating the loneliness or the aloneness. Um, but Oftentimes, the more we can handle being alone when it's more right to be alone, the less lonely we will ultimately be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Meaning that we will eventually find real friendship. Yeah. So, yeah, that was like all my questions. And thank you so much for letting me interview you. I learned so much today and stuff. Like, I got, I asked more questions than I thought I would. And I, like, I need to go call my friends and be like, guys, I just got exactly all the questions in the world. I know exactly what to tell you guys now or something like that. <laughs> so thank you so much for letting me interview you. And, You're welcome. Yeah. My pleasure. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it was super fun. You're good at it. You're a natural. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, we ask that you please rate, review, and share the podcast. 
so that more people can find and benefit from Dr. Jennifer's work.